Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, we've been talking about on Wednesday, cooperating with God and how important it is that we do our part and whatever it is he tells us to do, that we do it. You know, the scripture says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Well, like Naaman had to dip how many times? You mean six, six wouldn't have worked? No, I don't think so. Now, the one man who was blind was told to wash where? In the pool of what? Salome, not Beaver Pool. Not Seven Springs. No, but the pool of Salome. It wouldn't have worked any other way, would it? Absolutely not. And then, of course, the widow woman was told to get all the vessels that she could possibly find, right? If she didn't go out and find those vessels, there wouldn't have been a miracle. But because she went and did her part, God did his part, filled up all the vessels with oil. She sold and paid off all her debt, praise God. And then she had leftovers for the rest of her life. A retirement fund. You talk about exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to his power. That's above all we can ask or think, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, praise God. These are just some examples that we use to illustrate that we've got a part to play in it and God's got a part to play in it. Now, if you think of one side that might fall short of doing their part, you think it's God's? I don't think so either. I guess we've got a lot to work on as far as ourselves are concerned, wouldn't you say? Amen. All right, look in the book of Hebrews as we continue our study, chapter 11. This is beginning at verse 24. This is the life of Moses. Talk a little bit about his life and we'll show you some things that will help us in ours. By faith, Moses, this is talking about his faith and obedience. When he was come to years, notice he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter or his grandson. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood of blood. Lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So here we see some things or statements made about the faith and obedience of Moses. But notice he stops there with all that right there. And we'll comment on that in just a moment. But number one, what do we see? First of all, he refused something, didn't he? He refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter or his grandson. Now, we can lightly say that. But you know what he gives up by refusing to be called that? An awful lot. For the rest of his life, he could be living high off the hog in a position of authority Power, fame, fortune, and everything you can imagine. Number two, he chose something. What did he choose? To suffer affliction with the people of God. Not sound like, sound like something we'd want to do, but we choose to suffer for Jesus, persecution, tribulation, and affliction, no matter what, because we're not going to renounce or deny that he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of glory who was raised from the dead right we're not going to we're choosing no matter what you know some people could have spared their lives from a a martyr's death if they just would have recanted and renounced jesus but 
No, they're choosing to stay with him. And he chose the right path. Number three, what did, what did he do? He esteemed reproach for Christ more valuable than all of Egypt's treasures. In other words, you want to speak against me? They laughed at him. They mocked him. They scorned him. They said all kind of things like you're out of your mind. Have you lost it? What are you thinking? You're giving up everything that you could possibly have in this life so that you can be with those people, those slaves you call your people. Look, you're in the king's palace. Look, you have all this at your disposal, all this at your fingertips, and they mocked him. But he wasn't concerned about that. He concerned, he, he considered that you could talk all you want. Who had the last laugh on the Mount of Transfiguration when he appeared with Elijah and Jesus? Who had the last laugh? Oh, they laughed at him then. But you know what? Life is but a, this life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while. It vanishes away. There's the visible. There's the invisible. The visible is so small, so quick. It's gone just like that. But the invisible is eternal. It's forever. And so while they laughed at him for the moment, praise God, he's laughing throughout eternity. Next, he respected God's. This is God's rewards far above Anything Egypt had to offer or this world has to offer. You know, you can get a reward on this earth. You can get a crown. You can get a gold medal. You know, you can I get all kind of accolades from men. But I'm telling you, there is nothing more important than for you and for me to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. You have ceased from your labors. Your works follow you in and your reward, praise God, will be great. I'd rather have the reward from the living one, praise God, the most high than anything this world has to offer. Would you agree? Hallelujah. And then number five, by faith. By faith, he did certain things. What did he do? He forsook Egypt. By faith, he endured everything by looking at the invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover. And by faith, he crossed the Red Sea on dry land. So when you think about the life of Moses and you see all these things expressed to us in the Faith Hall of Fame, even though some other things are missing, it makes me think this. You notice it didn't list any of his failures or any of his disobedience. Now, that's the time you should shout. Because it shows me that God's not focusing on our failures. He's not focusing on when we missed it. He's focusing, praise God, on rewarding us for all the things that we did to honor him as we lived our lives here upon this earth. Aren't you glad for that? Can I hear a hearty amen for that? Hallelujah, praise God. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's placed them in the sea of forgetfulness, never to fish them up ever again. Thank God they're behind us. Hallelujah. It's a new day and we're going forward in Jesus. Amen. Well, we're not God, so we're going to look at some of his unbelief and disobedience. <laughs> Is that okay? Because we're going to learn some things. You can learn some things. We can learn some things by seeing how others missed it. And so we can avoid making the same mistake. It's almost just like a parent say, hey, I've been down that road before. You don't want to go down that road. And the child says, but I'm tough. <laughs> and I know a whole lot more than you do. So they get on the road. 
And they hit the first pothole. Oh, is this what you meant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Look at Numbers chapter 20. This was left out of this faith hall of fame description of the life of Moses. Let's begin at verse 8 and, and then we'll expound over these verses. This is when he told him to speak to the rock. Okay. Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gathered the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. Remember, we have to cooperate with God, don't we? You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. Oh, we're doing good so far. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, we're doing great so far. Listen, you rebels. (laughs) Okay, uh, Moses, you better watch it. Must we bring water out of this rock? Mm. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. Now we might think that's great at this point. But let's read on. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land I give them. Does it sound like God was pleased with what was done? Does it sound like they correctly cooperated with God in this endeavor? Absolutely not. No. We see unbelief and disobedience here, but let's point them out. Number one, this is what kept Moses out of the promised land. Number one, pride. Must we, look at that verse 10 again. Must we, he and Aaron gathered together the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Can you see something there about his attitude? Can you see some frustration in his voice? A little bit of anger. Maybe a little bit weary, a little bit tiring from all he's been through. But he just does what he wants to do and does not cooperate with God. Does not do what God said to do. So we see pride. And what does the scripture teach us about pride? Pride goes before a fall in the haughty, right? Right, in a haughty spirit before a fall. So think about it. Pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. So we see him putting himself in a situation where God is going to resist him. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You say, well, what do you mean about the proud? Oh, it couldn't be my fault. Mm-mm, not me. I tried that faith business, and you know it didn't work. So it can't be my fault. Yeah, because I'm perfect. See, I'm perfect in every way. So it must be God's fault. No, only God is perfect in every way. It's up to us to recognize the need to humble ourselves before God. He didn't, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. He didn't attribute the miracle to God. He attributed it to himself. Number two, disobedience. Disobedience. Look at verse 11. 
Just like Adam and Eve, he was disobedient. The, then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Now stop right there. Why twice? Because you see, the first time when he did this, he struck it once and water came out. Look at Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6. Can we switch back and forth? Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he struck the rock once. That's what he was told to do. He obeyed God right then, did exactly what he's commanded to do, cooperated with God, and water came out of a rock. But now let's go back to the book of Numbers. Moses raised his arm. Behold, I will stand before... Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Now notice... Because he did it the first time with one strike and the water came out. Can you imagine this? He strikes the rock and expects water to come gushing out. No water comes out. He's sweating bullets now. No water's coming out. Uh Uh-oh. He's probably a little bit embarrassed and humiliated at this point. So he strikes it again. And now water comes gushing out. He goes, whew. Glad that happened. So it gushes out and the community and their livestock, they drank the water that they needed so here we see an act of blatant disobedience not doing exactly what god said to do the way he said to do it but you might wonder well why did the water water come out the second time it came out the second time i'll tell you in a moment hold that thought number three is unbelief Unbelief. Notice what God said in verse 12. First part, part A. But the Lord said to Moses, to Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me in the sight of the Israelites. You did not trust me. Others, you didn't have enough faith in me. You didn't believe in me. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean he didn't believe? God used him in a mighty way on many, many occasions, and we understand that. But on this particular occasion, we see Moses stepping out, not cooperating with God, doing his own way, and as a result, God is not pleased with him and says, because of what you've done, you will not enter the promised land. You will not be the one to take my people into the promised land. And so, here again, we see that he... Refuse to do it God's way. Now, when we think about this, you think about faith and you think about how faith works. We think about the fact that he had faith to smack the rock or smite the rock the first time. And you would think that, okay, I did it this way the first time. We're going to do it again the same way. But God says, no, this time you don't strike it. This time you speak to it. Do you think that God maybe was trying to teach him the power of the spoken word? To teach him that you can speak to an inanimate object and that object will obey you. Like Mark 11, 23, when Jesus said, speak to your mountain, command it to go and it will go if you believe in your heart and don't doubt. But what you say will come to pass, you're going to have whatever you say. Remember Luke 17, 5 and 6, when Jesus said, if you had faith, you would say to that sick of mine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and planted the sea, it would obey you and so on. Remember he said that, it should obey you. Right, absolutely. That's exactly what Jesus was teaching them, how faith works. So here we see that Moses 
He was used to striking the rock. He had faith in striking the rock. But he had no faith to believe that his words have power over an inanimate object. And he can speak to it and water would gush out of it. But he believed in smiting it with a stick or a rod. With a rod. He had faith in that. Okay, number four. He publicly dishonored God. This is something that he did before all the people to see. Go on back to that verse 12. Look at the second part of it this time. But the Lord said to Moses, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Notice, in the sight of the Israelites. Now let me tell you why God had to bring the water out the second time. Because you see, the first time the water didn't come out. And now he's going to make God look bad. He's going to have them not trust him any longer. He's going to make God look bad. So God has to go ahead and do what they need. Meet that need to supply the water that they needed. So the second time he hits it, the water comes out on the second occasion. So that God doesn't look bad. And so that they continue to trust in what God is doing through Moses' life. So now he has to do it, but he has to do it basically Moses' way and not his own way. And so it happens. But is God pleased with it? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, if you remember this. Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan came to him and said that, look, this is what you've done. And remember that story? And judgment was pronounced upon him. Look at what God said through Samuel, the prophet, to David. Howbeit, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. That's pretty steep, wouldn't you say? David, you despised me. You dishonored me. You stole a man's wife. You committed adultery with her. You killed her husband and you have now given an occasion for my enemies to speak bad or evil of me. Right before all the Israelites, Moses basically was doing the same thing to give them all a reason to say, see, let's forget this whole thing. Let's forget serving God out here in the wilderness. Forget about it. There's no water coming out of that rock. So God had to let water come out of the rock even though he didn't speak to it. Can you see that? And then finally, of course, they uh, were satisfied and it continued on. But look at this last one. Number five, misrepresenting the sacrifice, God's sacrifice of Christ. Misrepresenting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. Go on back to that verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Now, the rock that followed them was Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. We are told in the New Testament, they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was whom? Christ that rock was a type of Christ and when Moses struck the rock the first time it was like the crucifixion of Christ 
And you know, he doesn't have to be crucified more than once. He doesn't have to sacrifice his life more than once. He doesn't have to shed his blood more than once. He doesn't have to enter the high court of heaven more than once. Only once did he have to be sacrificed. And so by doing what he did, it's almost as if he was messing with the type and the antitype. And God didn't like that. Matter of fact, look in the book of Hebrews where we have this revealed to us. Chapter 7 and verse 27. First, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. How many times did he offer up himself? Once. Go on to chapter 9 and look at some verses here. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in. How often? Not every day, not all the time, not once a year, not time again and time after again. No, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Go on down to the next one in verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin to salvation. How many times was he offered? Once. Only once. Moses struck the rock twice the second time. Instead of speaking to it. And once again misrepresenting the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then go on to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And look at these verses beginning at verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered, how many? One sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering... Has he perfected forever them that are sanctified? Oh, you better shout to the Lord. By one sacrifice, you have been perfected forever by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no need for another sacrifice. There's no need for a temple. There's no need for a red heifer. There is no need for any earthly high priest to offer up a sacrifice to appease the living God. Because one time he entered in with his own blood and he obtained eternal redemption for every single one of us. And because of his sacrifice... You and I have been set free. There's no more sacrifice except one for us. And that's a sacrifice of praise, a fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hallelujah. We're to shout the praises of God that the sacrifice has already been made. And there's no need for another except for me to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, how do we apply this to ourselves personally? Because, you know, you and I can get frustrated in our walk on this earth. Have you ever been frustrated? And sometimes you could be challenged to be discouraged. Sometimes you could look around and think, what's this all about? And why am I even doing this? We can learn from the experience of Moses some things we should do and some things we shouldn't do. But let me reiterate this one more time. I'm glad his faults were not listed in the Hall of Fame. I'm glad that God is not focusing on our shortcomings, faults, and failures. I'm glad he's concerned about showing how our faith worked, when it worked, how it worked, and how it pleased him so he can reward us on the other side in glory. 
Aren't you glad for that? Hallelujah. Okay, number one. Don't get caught up in pride. You know, when we think about that, it's far-reaching. Pride is very far-reaching. Sometimes it's so hidden we can't even see it for ourselves. You know, it's a prideful thing to say, I'd never do that. (laughs) You will tomorrow. (laughs) But look at that. Uh, I know you've got a telephone pole in your eye and they've got a toothpick in theirs. You can't see because you've got a telephone pole in your own eye, your own mistakes, your own faults and shortcomings, etc., etc. But you can certainly point out someone else's. You know why? Because the devil puts a magnifying glass on everybody else's shortcomings, faults, and failures, right? And doesn't want us to see our own. No, a humble man will just say, we all are frail. Every one of us. No one is exempt from missing the mark. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, what the Apostle Paul say, there's no temptation given among men that you and I can't handle. I'm paraphrasing it. No matter what the temptation, God will make a way of escape. But before that, he said, mind yourself, lest you too also fall, just as they fell in the wilderness. No one is exempt from being challenged. So, number one, don't get caught up in pride. Why? Because 1 Peter chapter 5, what does it say? Verses 6 and 7, let's read them. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. Do you know that not doing so could be a form of pride? You're trying to carry the load yourself. You're trying to carry the burden on your own shoulders. I'm on my own shoulders. Well, guess what? Your shoulders and my shoulders were not built to carry that load. And besides, why would we want to when we have someone who says, I'll carry it for you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Easy and light. He loves that soft listening, easy and light music. Not that heavy and hard rock stuff. I kind of side with that myself. (laughs) So if it's heavy and hard, it's not the yoke of Jesus. If it's easy and light, it comes from him. Amen? All right, so pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, right? And we understand that. So we want to shy away from pride because he resists the proud. Can you imagine him putting up resistance? Us trying to fight against God? It's just not going to work. So, Lord, I humble myself when I get out of bed in the morning. I want to thank you for your faithfulness at night and your loving kindness in the morning. I want to thank you for the dawn of a brand new day that you've made for me to rejoice and be glad in. But Father, I cannot weather this day without your presence, your power, your peace, your promises, your provision, and your protection. You see, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how strong we think we are. You know, when you're a young teenager and you're that bodybuilder and you're working out hard, you just think that you are so invincible that you can tame the world with your bicep. When you're about 70 years old and that bicep is flatter than a tire. (laughs) When the rubber meets the road, you find out exactly how much you have (laughs) or what you don't have. Mm -hmm. Hard rock abs, yeah, four feet under. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help me. 
Who are we? Who are we? We need Him. I need your presence, your power, your peace, your promises, your provision, your protection. And Holy Spirit, I need your spirit of obedience to rest upon me today so that when I'm challenged by temptation, I can rise up empowered by you and say, "Uh uh-uh, no, I'm not going down that path. See, you're humbling yourself by saying this. Jesus is because of you. I am who I am. I have what I have. I know what I know and I can do what I can do. Those four things are all biblical verses. You realize that. It's because of him I am who I am. Paul said that. Because of his grace, I am who I am. I have what I have. He's given us all things. I can do what I can do. All things through Christ who is my strength. I know what I know. Where would, well, let's find out. Where would Nebuchadnezzar be without brain power that God gave him? Living like an animal in the wilderness. So if God just kind of removed his umbrella of protection from a human life like he did with Nebuchadnezzar, he saw exactly what he would be like. So all these people that think they're so smart out there in the world today and they take pride in what they can do. Like, for example, when Bill Gates one time just said, why would I go to church on a Sunday when I can make a million dollars on that day? Wow. That's prideful. In other words, you know, what's more important? It's not a relationship with God, but one with money. I better stop meddling right there. Number two, obey his direct command. Look at John 2 and verse 5. Obey his direct command. This is Mary, his mother, said to the servants, whatever, whatsoever he says to you. What? Do it. Well, what did he say to do? Do it. Why? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. That's not in your notes, but look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, 22 and 23. Whatever he says to you, do it, because obedience is better than sacrifice. Samuel said, have the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Powerful section of scripture here. It is so imperative that we do it the way he said to do it. You realize how much we can correct in society if we just live the way he instructed us to live? Can you imagine if we go back? Can you imagine if we went back before 1960? I don't know how old you were in 1960, but I was about nine years old. And you know, when you went to school in 1960, you know how you started your day? Prayer. Read a scripture. You would pray. You would read a Bible scripture. And then you'd go about your day. Say the Pledge of Allegiance and then kind of go about your day, right? Anybody remember those days? Come on. Some of you are a lot younger out there. (laughs) How many of you know why or when, way back in the very beginning, we first in this country first began to, you know, have schools? Who established those schools? The church. And do you know what the emphasis was in our public school system? Way back when? Number one, 
God, family, community, church. Those were above mathematics and any kind of other academics. That was this country way back then. And you know what? When we were living it that way, think about it. It was wonderful. The most difficult thing teachers had to deal with was stop running in the hallway. Don't put that gum under that desk. I saw you. Right? Did you throw a spitball? I saw you. No, you shot it through a straw. After all this has changed, we're dealing with a lot more today than we ever had before. Right? Okay. That's enough said. Number three, trust him. Trust him. Remember what Moses did not do. He didn't trust him. Speak to that rock. Oh, come on. Look, I, if I hit that rock, somebody go get a rock. Put it over here. You think we can smack that thing enough to get water out of it? Anyone think we could do that? I don't think so. You could be a great plumber and you still won't get any water out. It's not going to come out of that rock. So why was he afraid to speak to it? So if you hit it one time, 10 times, 20 times, if God's not behind it, water's not coming out of the rock no matter how many times you hit it. So what's the difference, Moses? Just speak to it. Rock, give me water. That's all he had to say. Rock, produce water in front of all these people. And guess what he would have done if he would have done that? He would have not dishonored God publicly. Right? He would have demonstrated faith in God and that he was God's man and God was using him to bring water out of that rock. He would not have exalted himself among the people. He would have exalted God among the people. And he would have learned the valuable lessons of words and the tongue and how powerful it is. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. It would have come forth. You think that's not an issue today? You know how many believers have a hard time and difficulty thinking that, what do you mean just speak? Just tell it to leave. And they war with that. Well, Jesus said you could speak to your mountain and it will go. Didn't he say that? But look at Psalm 37 verse 5 before I get ahead of myself. Trust him. Commit thy way to the Lord. I can just see him. Oh, Lord, you want me to speak to the rock? They already think I've lost my mind, and now I've got to speak to that rock. Now what are you going to think of me? Moses, you've really gone off the deep end now. Okay? No. But you know what, Lord? I remember when I smote the rock way back when, and water came out. So if you're telling me to speak to the rock, I'm going to commit this situation to you. And I'm going to trust that when I speak to that rock, water will come out. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. Let me ask you this question. Who has the more difficult part in this? Go get me a rock. Put it down. Speak to the rock. Rock, produce. Water. 
Who's got the hard part? Now imagine. 11 million gallons of water came out of a rock every day to meet the water needs of the Israelites and their cattle, their livestock, and all that. 11 million gallons of water. If he just would have trusted in him, God would have brought it to pass. So God was so frustrated with him because he tried to do it his own way because he feared, etc., etc. He said, look, because of those five things, you will not enter into the promised land. And some say, but after all that Moses did, God's no respecter of persons. No matter what we've done, we still have to obey him and cooperate with him. Can we see that? Okay, what are we on? Number four, don't dishonor him by mischaracterizing him. Oh, I was so guilty of this when I first got saved. God doesn't want us to have any more children. And I wasn't saying it arrogantly. I wasn't saying it. I was saying it with, I had a form of, I, I had, I could have said it this way. I had a zeal without knowledge. I had no knowledge. I didn't know the character of God. Didn't know the word of God. I just said it's impossible. Can't have any children. And that's all there is to it. But thank God for a dear brother, brother Jose, who came up to me and said to me one day, read Psalm 128 and see what it says. I read Psalm 128. When I read Psalm 128, it says, So shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord, honors him, and obeys him. I said, well, that's me. You're going to be blessed. And your wife will be a fruitful vine by the side of your house. And your children are right about your table like olive plants. And when I read the verse of Scripture, I about fell over and said, Honestly, I had no instruction. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I fell on my knees in my old dirty mill crane with all that graphite flowing in my face on my knees before God and said, Father, I misrepresented you. I've told many people that it's not your will for me to have children. I said that. I misrepresented you. I spoke incorrectly of you. I'm blaming you for this inability. But yet I had adoption papers in. How mindless is that? Is that crazy? I actually said with one breath, God wants me, doesn't want to have to have children in the next breath, I'm trying to adopt a child. Goes to show you how we can be thoroughly mixed and well set like cement. Doesn't make any sense. But what was coming out was my earnest desire and yearning desire to have children. Can you see that? So I misrepresented him. And boy, when I my knees hit that ground and I said, I repent in Jesus' name. I'm so sorry, Father. I will never say that ever again. That will never come out of my mouth. And then went home, showed the scriptures. We prayed in two weeks. She was pregnant. And guess what? When we did it God's way, the miracle happened. When I cooperated with God, the miracle happened. And I got rid of my adoption papers. Didn't need to. Then I went from one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum because kids kept coming. And I finally just said, is there a scripture to turn this off? Show me. Help. <laughs> All right, Matthew 25. 24 through 20. Let's read these verses. Don't dishonor him by mischaracterizing him. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Hmm. 
His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest to, therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to, unto him with that ten talents. He's mischaracterized God because he doesn't really know God. He doesn't really know what he's all about. And you know what, beloved? If you and I don't know the scriptures and if we don't know the heart of God, we'll mischaracterize them. In 1 John, look at, look at chapter, uh, two, or chapter 1 and verse 5. This then is the message. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all all you want to characterize God he is light he is life he is love and I mean absolutes we're speaking absolutes here we don't know what absolute is we don't experience absolute heat absolute cold absolute light absolute darkness he's so absolute light that if you saw his face you'd fall over dead right now that's absolute light so why am I saying that because there is not one smidgen of darkness in him. And if any way we might think that God did a little bit of evil, get it out of your thought process. Get rid of it from your life. God can never act apart from his character. He can never act out of character. He can never act out of life, out of love, out of light. Because he is absolute in all those areas. And when I cooperated with him, what a difference it made. Hallelujah. Look at number five. Focus on the sacrifice of Christ and his finished work. That's what we ought to do. Focus on, hey, the work's done. Jesus does not have to die again. He paid the price one time and it's done. See, too often, here's what we're doing. We're trying to get him to do something he's already done. And we fail to realize that he's already done. And we're not trusting him to make it a reality. This is what faith is all about. I'm to speak in harmony with the word of God. I am declaring decree the word of God. I'm to say what Jesus did for me. I am to embrace what Jesus has done for me. I am to trust and that he will watch over that word and he will perform it. And he will make it good. As long as I do my part, he will do his part. He will make it a reality. So once I changed and did, it what, did the way he said to do it, guess what? We got the miracle. And that's how God wants us to view things. Focus on his sacrifice. Focus, focus on his finished work. Christ does not have to die again. So God has done everything in Christ that we need. And in him, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Not going to be done already accomplished. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's left for us to do is to cooperate with him. Now, do you want mercy? Anybody want mercy? The rest of you don't. Anybody want mercy? Well, cooperate. If you show mercy, you will reap mercy. To the merciful, God will show himself merciful. To the upright, God will show himself upright. To the froward, God will show himself froward. So if we choose to have mercy, what's mercy? Not giving someone what they deserve. You deserve a spanking, but I'm not going to give you one. 
I'm going to give you mercy. We all deserve a spanking at times. But aren't you glad when you can go to God and say, I'm coming to your throne, Father, to obtain mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me what Jesus deserves. I'll take that. And he'll give you mercy. And then provide grace to help in time of need so we can rise up above it the next time. If we want things given to us, what does he tell us to do? Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. Men will pour forth into your bosom. So what is our part to cooperate with? Be a giver. Give. I remember one guy talking about how he went to a meeting. And in that meeting he had not a penny to his name. And so what he did was he got a, a card. They were passing out these cards like first time up cart and, and all that. And he figured it was a pencil that they gave him. So it was his pencil now. So he said, Lord, I'm going to stick this pencil in the offering and give it to you. And, you know, from that moment on, he learned how to give. God blessed that because after he gave that, someone came and gave him out of the clear blue. Isn't that something how God can find people out of the clear blue? And influence those people out of the clear blue just to come along your way. Because he saw you like he saw the widow put that mite in. He saw you put a pencil in and say, I'm honoring you with this pencil. And God gave him money in exchange which he of course sowed back into the kingdom of God and just kept on giving so if we want mercy so mercy if we want uh, to receive from God then we have to give and we'll see praise God it'll be given to us and so the it just list goes on and on so it's up to us to do our part cooperate with God and if we'll do our part is there any chance God might not do his God will do his if you call on the name of the Lord will you be saved amen what's what's our part Call upon his name. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together before the Lord.